Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Well, good evening to everyone tonight. It is a pleasure to be in the house of the Lord and wherever you're at tonight. I pray that you have had a blessed day and uh, that your heart is ready to receive the word of God. And I wanted to tell you that God is awesome. And that's something that you already know. I do have to preface a little bit tonight before I start. Um, This is sort of nostalgic to me because uh, when I was younger, about 22 years old, uh, that would have been about 1976, I was a new convert. I'd been in the church actually about a year or two, and I had already felt that God was leading me into the ministry. And I remember on a Tuesday night, or it was an off night, that I snuck into the church. It was Parkway Apostolic Church. And I went up to the pulpit, and I pretended that I had a thousand people there, and I preached my heart out. Little did I know, though, that Pastor Frank Tamil, some of you will remember him, uh, he didn't take kindly to me preaching to pews. And I, I laughed tonight because he told me, Steve, he said, pews can't get saved. You preach to people. And so tonight, as we're going through this COVID-19 ordeal, uh, I'm speaking Two empty chairs again. But technically, not so because you're in your chair tonight. And so I guess it is a little different. I know tonight that there are people that are be watching from all over, uh, not only Waukesha County, but outside of our state. And I want to say hi to our Abundant Life people. I miss you guys so much. I cannot wait till the time when we can get back and fellowship together laugh and do all those crazy things that we do, but most of all, where we can gather together and hear the anointed word of God right in our own sanctuary. Uh, I want to say hi to uh, our sister church. I consider it a sister church out in Colorado, Brother Dieter Scowron and Sister Kim. I miss you guys so much, and I, I imagine that some of your church people are watching as well. But I want to get right into the Word of God tonight. This may not be uh, real, real long, but I want to be to the point. I believe that God has placed this message on my mind, and I have no doubt it's applicable to many of you who are experiencing what I'm about to share. I'd like to title this, if I could, um, simply, When God Steps in. When God steps in. And I want to start right from the beginning. Um, if you go back and look at the very beginning of your Bible, Genesis, the first chapter, verse 1, we note that uh, the world was not as it is today. It says in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Let me preface this make the statement before we get to the second verse. Before God ever created the earth, 
he, in his mind, determined what it would be. Just like Christ was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world, just as God knew that one day he would have to robe himself in flesh and die on the cross, God, in his own mind, saw the earth before he created it. And he spoke it into existence. But I want to show you what it was like when he stepped in. It said, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, if you can stop there for a moment and try to determine in your imagination what it must have been like when he entered into the situation and he saw it. There was no form, it was void, there was no light, there was just darkness, there was chaos, no order. But when God stepped into this situation, he began to bring order. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, I'm not going to go through all the days of creation, but I do want to let you know that one of the things that you can recognize about God and his presence is that he is a God of order. He brings order to chaos. And the very first thing that he often brings to before he brings order is light. Jesus is the light of the world, and in him no darkness dwelleth. Now, we can see that God is in order by his creation. God steps into chaos, he produces light, then he brings about creation, the trees and the vegetation and the sea life and water and all these other things that make up our world. He has shown us that he specializes in creating order out of disorder. He can do that not only with the things that we see, the materials that we walk on and we use, but he can do it in our lives spiritually. Now the agnostic says that there probably might be or there might not be a God, but we can't know for sure. The point as Christians that I want to present is we know that there is a God because here there is order. We can look at his creation and know that God has been present in our lives by the things we see. You know, when, when an evolutionist says, well, all these things just happened, there, there was mutation after mutation after mutation, that's sort of like saying, if I pick up this typewriter and I throw it up into the air, it will come down and create a library. It's, order does not, on its, by itself, come from disorder. Now, Paul is writing to the Romans in the first chapter, verse 20, and he's speaking to them, and he says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Now notice what he says next. Being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. 
I've always been fascinated by the human body. Uh, working uh, in hospitals and things, I've been able to see things that maybe some of you might not have been able to see. But when I look at how intricately we are made and how wonderfully the human body is put together, it seems to shout out that, yes, I am created in the image of God because of the order that reigns inside my body. Now, I've chosen this topic tonight because in life, many of us are going through periods of disorder. And when I say that, I'm really saying that you're, you're thinking to yourself, nothing seems to make sense. It seems everything is careening out of control and that I am just a spectator in this calamity of life. But friend, that is not so. Let's look at an example. We've just went through Easter not long ago, through the resurrection. But I want to go back and look shortly after the resurrection, what is taking place. Now remember, Jesus told his disciples just before his crucifixion that he was going to die, that he was going to suffer, and that he was going to be resurrected. Now he was just not, he was reiterating something that was already prophesied about in the law and in the Old Testament. But somehow their eyes could not see and they did not recognize that what had happened on that hill called Calvary was the greatest and most important event to ever happen in the history of this earth or in mankind's existence. That the single act that Christ performed by giving his life on the cross would change the destination and the outcome for all men. It was a door that would open up, a door for the remission of sin, and that grace would be poured out upon all who reached out to faith in Christ. But they didn't see that. All they saw was the chaos of the moment. All they could focus on was the suffering Christ, the 40 stripes, the humiliation of the cross, the absence, his absence and physical presence with them. That's all they could see. That's all they could focus on. And you know that happens to all of us. It really does. God brings something into our life that's going to bring about change. And he's going to perform a construction of not only our character, but of our spiritual growth. But we look more at the hammer than we do that the, on the building that he's constructing in our life. Now, we do know that after the crucifixion, Jesus came back and he started to bring order to the chaos that his disciples were going through. I'm reading... Um, uh, I believe the scripture here is Luke, I believe. Let me make sure that I give you the right scripture. I think it's Luke. I'm sorry, I didn't write down the, the, the chapter here. It's the disciples are on the road to Emmaus. He appears to them. He just walks up to them and he starts to talk with them. And I'm going to pick up in verse 17. 
he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? <laughs> Look at their appearance. They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleophas, asked him, and I can imagine the way this was phrased and in the manner in which it was said, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What planet are you living on that you don't know what's happened? That's indirectly what he was saying. And Jesus plays along and he says, what things? He asked. Well, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet. Notice the past tense. He is not a prophet in the present tense, but he was a prophet. Powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. They'd already sold out their hope. They were living in the past. All they could see was the suffering Christ and the, the tomb that was sealed by Pilate. Well, you understand, he says, they're saying, the chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Notice the past tense again. Not that we have hope that he is. We had hope that he was. When you start to live by the circumstances that surround you and look at the past instead of looking with faith towards the future, your hope dies. And they go on to say, and what is more? It's the third day since this took place. In addition, some of the, our women amazed us. They, they went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Now, what, what are they presenting? They're presenting evidence that they're refusing to accept. If they would have contemplated the words that Jesus had spoke to them before his crucifixion, they would have remembered as, uh, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be uh, in the belly of death, so to speak. I'm living there. He had told them that he was going to rise on the third day. They have evidence on the th at the, after the third day that he's resurrected, but for some reason, they just don't want to accept it. You know, that happens to us. We get our hope, hopes built up. We get excited about something that's going to happen in our life, and then it falls apart. And then we say, I will never, never allow that to happen again. I do not want to be hurt in that manner ever again, so I refuse to hope. He said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Now notice what happens next. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks, broke it and began to divide it to them, to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. What was one of the last acts that Christ performed before his crucifixion? It was the Passover supper. That, at that supper, he broke bread and gave thanks. And when they recognized the same incident being played before their eyes, all of a sudden, the scales of unbelief, the scales of doubt and mistrust lifted from their eyes and light allowed them to see what they had not seen previously. Sometimes we need the light of the word. We need to have the light to drive away the darkness of doubt. What Christ does is he often brings meaning to our grief. Now, every one of us is going to go through situations and circumstances in our life that are going to cause us grief, that are going to produce sorrow and sometimes diminish our joy. But all of a sudden, when light does appear and the person begins to see what truly has taken place, not as they perceived it, but as God ordained it, the light reveals that Christ was bringing a sense of order to their life that they had not perceived previously. You know, that wasn't just those two men on the road to Emmaus that were having the same problem. Or it was the same with all the disciples, for they, they soon heard about the miraculous appearing of Christ by the women and then on the people on the road to Emmaus. Now, let's read a little further. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? Now, I'm going to bring up a point here. I want you to pay attention because there's a really important point. Because revelation came to these two disciples through the spoken word of Christ that he was giving to them from the scriptures. While he opened to us the scriptures, did not our hearts burn? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way, and how he was chosen, how he was, how he was known to them in breaking of bread. Now, if you've ever been out to Abundant Life, um, you'll probably hear us mention that when we preach, we're breaking the bread. The word of God is the bread of life. The Bible is our bread. Now, I want to insert a scripture here that's pertinent for us to understand. 
In 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, verse 21, Paul speaks to the Corinthian church, which was a somewhat carnal church. They had a lot of division, a lot of strife going on. And he says these words. God has chosen the foolishness of preaching. That's, that's the message he's going to give. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. I, I want to tell you tonight, there's something about anointed preaching. There's something about being under the anointed word of God as it's delivered from uh, in a spiritual anointing presence of God that seems to break the gates of doubt and fear apart. And that's what Paul is saying. The foolishness of preaching is able to save those that are lost. Now, Jesus tells us that we should gather together all the more as we see the day approaching. What, just to have fellowship? No, he wanted us to do as he had did to those two on the road to Emmaus. Let's open up the scriptures. Let's preach the word. Let's show that there is order that's coming out of disorder. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, peace be unto you. Now he's appearing to the disciples. And it's, it's said that they were probably in the upper room. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they'd seen a spirit. Now, we're talking about people that have spent three years with Christ. These are people that have been there when the 5,000 have been there, fed, the 4,000. They've seen the dead raised. They've seen all these miracles. They've heard Jesus prophesy about his soon coming death and his resurrection. But when he appears to them, they can't accept it. They're terrified. We weren't expecting this. And he said unto them, <laughs> The Kylie version would be, why are you so afraid? Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Hello, I told you these things were going to happen. This is the reason that I came to the earth. Behold my hands, behold my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me, see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. He has to convince his disciples to believe. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said to them, have you here any meat? It shows you a little bit about humanity here, doesn't it? that Jesus himself would appear inside a locked room in the midst of his disciples and they still could not believe his resurrection. And they believed not for joy and wondered. It, it, see, miracles oftentimes do not convince us as much as the anointed promises and word of God does. 
And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of honeycomb. And he took it and he did eat before them. Look, I'm not a spirit. I'm eating. You've touched me. I'm, I'm, I'm alive. I wonder how many times God has to come into our lives and try to convince us that he's in charge that he is everything that he says he is and that he's doing everything in our life that he said he would do. How many times he has presented us, himself to us, but we need special convincing. You know, I have to confess, the older I get, the more I stop and I look around me and I must be getting mellow because I start to look at flowers, I start to, in spring, I start to look at the buds on trees and I see the life coming around me and I smell the smells of the spring and it just seems to preach to me about the order and the magnificence of God. How can I deny that God is life when there's life budding all around me? How can I sell out on hope when I have seen all the things that God has done in my life for me already. And he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was with, yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Not just the good things. I, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They focused on the good things but did not want to acknowledge the bad things. Now, I, I guess I'm like many of you. When I came into the church, I thought, I have a hope of eternity. God's going to bless me. He's going to be with me every day. And my life is going to be much better. I'm gonna, never going to have a problem again. You know, it's sort of that sort of mindset. I know there's a place called heaven that's set aside for me, and not only uh, for me only, but for those that are looking for him. But I never really wanted to focus on the dark days. I didn't want to think about the valley of the shadow of death. I didn't want to think about the tribulation or the disappointment that would come with this life. I wanted just to focus on the good things. And here's what happens in verse 45, Luke 24. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. See, you can look at the scriptures and not perceive the meaning of the scripture. And said unto them, thus it is written and thus it behoove Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And now he says, and you are witnesses of these things. In other words, today, you have seen these things fulfilled before your own eyes. I used to say, well, how could the disciples ever have so many problems when they saw so many divine instances of Christ's glory? You know, if I, I would say to myself, if I lived with Christ for three years and slept with him and walked with him every day, how could I ever doubt? But friend, that's the same thing that I'm going through right now. I live with him every day. He lives inside of me. 
I can't say that I, I have a visible presentation, but yet indirectly, he's living inside my spirit and in my heart. He speaks to me in the, the wind and in the breeze. His, his warmth caresses my face with the, by the sunshine. He puts joy when there's only darkness in my life. I don't want to be like Thomas. He was the hard nut to crack among the bunch. He says, unless I stick my hands in his side and my fingers in his hand, I won't believe. Here we go again. I am not going to face disappointment like I just did. You guys don't understand how hard this was for me. I'd invested three years in my, of my life with Jesus. I walked with him and I, I trusted him. And then he died and he left me. So this time I'm not going to make the same mistake. Does that sound like your flesh talking? Oh, nobody's going to fool me again. Jesus left me in the lurch, but Jesus left no one in the lurch. He was bringing order to a world in chaos. He was straightening out what disaster had occurred in the Garden of Eden when man fell. This was all foreordained. And that was the message that Jesus had to keep driving home to his disciples. It's written these things are foreordained. Don't be discouraged. Don't walk away. You know, I, I'm looking right now outside the doors of this building. All the chaos from uh, in, our, in our country, not only our country, but this world. And I'm saying, boy, this place is just going bananas. God, where are you? God's got a plan. Trust in God. Don't look at all the problems. Trust that he is going to accomplish something that was already previously written and we should not be surprised about it. Now, he does appear in John, the 20th chapter to Thomas. And it says in verse 26, and after eight days again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Okay, you said it. You aren't going to believe unless I give you a special visitation. Here's your special visitation. Reach hither your finger and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. And then he says this, and it's not a compliment. And be not faithless but believing. It took a lot to convince Thomas. But it hit home finally, and Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. Every one of us have had times in our life where our faith is being tested. Every one of us. There's not one exclusion but I want to tell you the promises of God are always present, no matter what our situation. But somehow in our torment, in the, 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 the noise of our struggle, we overlook the promises that are written in the word concerning our lives. Let me give you a, a little story here, a personal story. 
Years ago, I was having a very difficult time in the church I was pastoring. We had some internal problems. I could not for the life of me solve these problems. They just tormented me day and night. I guess I was trying to play God in my church and instead of realizing that it was God's church and that these were God's people and leaving it on the altar, as a young pastor, I felt that I needed to control the situation. And I was tormented and aggravated by the experiences that I was going through. You can imagine, I, I prayed, I fasted, I sought God, I pleaded with God for help and resolution to the problems that were all around me. And one night, when I went to bed, I had a dream. And it was, I think it was more than just a pizza dream by a long shot. In this dream, I had one of my closest friends who was also a member of our church. We were walking through the city that we, we pastored in and I remember it was a very, very dark night. It was during this walk that all of a sudden, out of the blackness of the night, there were black chariots. I, 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 see the, I, I can still see the form of them. They were like barn swallows flying out of the midst of the darkness, diving at me and swerving at the last minute and intimidating me, one after the other. They were like barn swallows. If you know what barn swallows are like, anybody that's ever had a barn and you walk in there when they're nesting, they're like dive bombers. I cowered each time one came near. I asked my friend if he could see what I was seeing, and he said, I, I don't see anything. I want you to stop for a second. Sometimes in your problems and in your frustration, those that are close to you cannot even discern what you're going through. I was alone in this, this situation. I wondered how in the world he could not experience what I was experiencing. You mean you can't see something so obvious? Then something happened as I was looking up. It was the most magnificent thing I can honestly say that I might have ever seen. The chariots disappeared and the sky opened up like a draw curtain. It just opened up like a draw curtain and shining in all of its glory on the other side of the curtain was a city, a glorious, beautiful, white and shining city. And I stared at that beautiful place and in my dream it seemed like for minutes. And then just like the curtain had opened, the curtain closed and a very strong voice spoke to me and said just these words. Keep your eyes on the city. I knew exactly what those words were implying. What God was trying to tell me is I should take my eyes off the things that are causing me torment 
and keep them focused on the promises and the destination that I'm heading for. We are not of this world. We are just ambassadors of Christ. God never promised us, and forgive my analogy, a rose garden. That night, anxiety lifted off of me, and I felt great peace from that moment on. It was a miracle. Because God had to teach me that I have to take my eyes off of chaos and look at the order that he brings out of chaos. Now, you're, you're saying, well, did all your problems go away? I, <laughs> no, they didn't go away. I just became aware of Christ in my situation and how he was going to bring order out of my chaos. And it was reminding me of something I already knew. Again, this world's not my destination. It isn't your destination. It's not my hope. This world isn't my hope. Heaven is my hope. I oftentimes use the scripture, and I hope I don't beleaguer you with it, when Paul said, think it not strange the fiery trial of your faith as though some strange thing has happened unto you. He, what he's saying is, these things are normal. These things are normal. Have you ever had a time in your life where you prayed and prayed and it seemed that the answers just do not come and you wonder if God forgot all about you? Honestly, tell me the truth. Yeah, you tell me. I can't see you. You shake your head. Yeah. You do. You do. You have. Many times you've probably wondered why God is heaven so much like brass and it seems my words bounce off of the walls in which I pray. I remember another time, and pardon me for using this personal example, it was a different time in my life and I was praying about something and seeking direction. I, was, I needed an answer from God and it wasn't so much a problem with the church but I was seeking direction and I, I needed an answer. I wanted God to give me what I was asking for and I'm saying, God, there's the calendar. I need an answer. You, you must understand that. And I asked that he'd speak to me to give me some confirmation as to his awareness of my need. Then I did it. I got the Bible out. I put it next to me and I opened it up. I said, God, you speak to me through your word all the time. I pray, Lord, that as I open this Bible, that you would speak to me now. So my Bible opened up to Hebrews, the 10th chapter. And my eyes went immediately to verse 35 and I began to read. And when I read this to you, it's almost like God is speaking in the first person. It was, it was chilling. It says, cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward, for you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. I want to stop there. He's speaking in a personal sense. You. He's saying you're going to get the promise. The answer's going to come after you have done the will of God. 
In other words, when the time is right, the answer will come and you, that you might receive the promise. And then he says this, verse 37, for yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, I said. That's like telling me, I'm, a, I'm, gonna, I'm on my way. I haven't forgot about your request. But you have need of patience. You have to fulfill the will of God. And I'm about ready to come and give you what you ask for. And then the last verse says that I'm going to read. Now the just shall live by faith. Not by sight. Not by feeling. Not by circumstances. Not by what things happen or don't happen in your life. But by faith. And then it says this. But if any man draws back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. For we are not of those that withdraw unto perdition, but we believe for the saving of the soul. In other words, if you're going to constantly look at the chaos and not the organization that's going to come through the chaos, that God is going to accomplish through his will and his direction, you're going to be tempted to draw back and leave the will of God for your life. Now, I want to remind every person that's listening to me tonight that God has made known his plan for mankind. He's given you, he's given me, promises to hold on to until we are finished with our work on earth. Now your, your job description on this earth is more than likely different than mine, and mine from yours. I need to accomplish that which God has sent me for, regardless of what happens to others, whether one person is blessed and I'm not blessed, doesn't matter. I have a mission and God has a plan and a purpose for my life. Example. Remember a guy named Joseph? Joseph had a dream. Very beautiful dream. It was a dream of promise. A, a dream where God was going to elevate him and bless him. But what wasn't in the dream was the road to his destiny. Nowhere in the dream did it say that he had to walk through the pit of betrayal by his own family. Nowhere in the dream was there a house of lies and deception in Potiphar's household. Nowhere in the dream did it talk about a prison of confinement that he would be locked in. But I want you to remember tonight, sometimes the road to blessing is preceded by the valleys of struggle and denial and yes, even suffering. How did Joseph make it through? How did he make it through the pit and Potiphar and the prison and the betrayal? I believe Joseph learned a lesson that I learned later in my ministry and not to focus on the pit. 
He learned not to focus on the injustice that occurred in Potiphar's house. He didn't focus on the prison. He, spoke, he focused upon the vision and the promise that God had given him in his dream. And you know, that's why he excelled in every situation he faced. If you want to excel in the calamities of life, if you want to achieve a, a, a life that's respected and acknowledged by others, it's how you handle dilemma. It's what you focus on. I remind you of a song that goes, uh, there was a little verse and it says, I have hope when trouble comes my way. I have a marvelous hope. There's a blessed hope for you tonight in the scriptures. And you need to hear those promises over and over again. Just like tonight, you need to hear it preached. You need to hear the testimonies of others. But don't be foolish, my friend, and try to compare yourself to another. Because the valley he is in may not be the valley that you'll walk through. But what's important is what's on the other side of the struggle. And I think tonight I'm going to close with this. There was a story about Elijah, and I think Elijah had a little Irish in him. He's probably, I know he was Jewish, but he must have had a little Irish because what he was doing is he was having some fun with the king of Syria. I know he just loved it. God would reveal things to him, and he would go to the king of Israel and tell him what God had revealed, and he'd watch the king of Syria get all frustrated, and he did it over and over again, and I think he got pleasure in that. Well, the king of Syria didn't think it was very impressive. And he became angry. He wanted to know who the traitor was. He wanted to stop the leak. And they found out that it was Elijah. That Elijah, God was speaking to Elijah and then filling the ears of the, of the king of Israel with the knowledge that God was revealing to him. And so it says in 2 Kings 6, verse 14, Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. I mean, this was a great big campaign. They were going to stop the leak. They were going to shut the mouth of the prophet. Now, Elisha had a servant, and it says in verse 15, And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host had compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? Now, I, got, I have to stop here. I have to stop here because someone's doing this right now. Your life is encompassed by an insurmountable enemy. The odds are stacked against you. It's overwhelming. It seems like there's no way to escape. They're surrounding you. 
and you cry out to God and you say, God, what am I going to do? There's no way of escape. Now notice what the man of God says. And he answered, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Sometimes we need to take our eyes off the problem and look at our solution. Jesus told you, friend, that he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the earth, into the end of the age. But what are you looking at? What do you see? As I'm speaking to you tonight, what are you feeling at this exact moment? I hope it's not fear. I hope it's not panic. And here's what my prayer would be. And before I leave tonight, we'll pray this prayer. I pray that the Lord would open all of our eyes that we might see the host of heaven surrounding us and fighting on our behalf. We're not an island. The church is withholding evil on this face of this earth. Do you, did you ever think about that? That's how powerful this church is. Second Thessalonians 2. He who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. The church is strong. The church is formidable. The gates of hell shall not uh, prevail against it. So what are you looking at? I found out the barking dog isn't the one that I need to worry about biting me. It's the one that doesn't bark. Now it may be that Jesus uh, may step in tonight for you and, and the disorder and chaos that you might be experiencing and the struggle that you're going through might be diminished by the glory that he reveals through your circumstances. He might open up your eyes. He might bring you peace. But I know the best way to the road of peace is through the promises given in the word of God. God told us to focus on him and to trust in him with all of our heart and not to lean upon our own understanding and our own evaluations and our own assessments. They mean nothing because our battle is a spiritual battle that takes in a, a place in a dimension that we can't perceive. So how do you fight a battle like that when you cannot see it? By faith and trust in God. The one thing that I give you to hold on to as I close, Jesus left us a promise and I, I feel more excited about it every day. Jesus said he was coming back. He says, when you see all these things coming to pass, look up for your redemption draws nigh. He told us that. But you know what? We're too busy listening to the radio and watching the TV to, to remember that these things are our predecessors to promise. 
When you see all these things come to pass, he says, don't look down, don't look at them, but look up for your redemption draws nigh. Are you ready to meet him tonight? If the trumpet should sound, is your focus on heaven? Are you focused on the clouds of glory? Are you anticipating his arrival? Are you going to be like the disciples that are going to be so surprised when Jesus enters into the midst of the room where they are and they're going to be full of, still full of unbelief? Or are you going to be full of faith and focusing on promise? And I close with this verse. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, And it says this, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Remember there were ten virgins. Five were looking and five were not. What are you looking at? Are you looking at your problems or are you looking for his appearing? When these things start to come against us, if it should cause us to do one thing for sure, it should cause us to look up. It should cause us to anticipate the revealed promise of God with the trump of God and the dead raising and we are arising to meet them in the air. But he's only coming for those that are looking for him. Lord Jesus, tonight I thank you for the time that I've been able to spend with so many different type of, types of people are members of our church and those that are not. And, but Lord, I pray that the message that you have allowed me to share tonight, and I pray that it would find a place inside the heart and the mind of those that have heard it. Help us to realize that even amidst the chaos... Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.